0: to Readings by Mr Holmes. Um, long time no listen for a lot of you guys. I hope you did enjoy the new intro music courtesy of the one and only Mr Wilson. Um, superb, it's uh, really given this podcast a shot in the arm so I hope you like it. Um, we're going to continue with Macbeth today, um, pick up where we left off last time. So we're up to the end of scene two in act one. Um, you will recall that bit's, bits gone on there with um, Macbeth. And uh, well, we haven't actually met Macbeth yet, I tell a lie, but we've, uh, there's been a battle, and um, Duncan is talking to some generals, and they're talking about this fellow called Macbeth who's done well and really pulled through for Scotland. So, in Act One, Scene Three, we're on a heath near Forest, and we meet again those those villainous witches, and they're up to no good as usual. So, Thunder. Enter the three witches. Where hast thou been, sister?
1: Killing swine
2: Sister, where thou
3: A sailor's wife had chestnuts in her lap, and munched and munched and munched. Give me, quoth I, oint thee witch, the rump fed onion cries. Her husband's to Aleppo gone, Master O' the tiger, but in a sieve I'll thither sail, and like a rat without a tail, I'll do, I'll do and
0: I'll do. So here this first witch is uh, telling this rather nasty little story where she she doesn't tell us when or where, but she wanted some chestnuts from a, this sailor's wife. And this sailor's wife wouldn't give her any, so she, this upset the witch. And the witch makes plans to torment the sailor. She's going to turn herself into a tailless rat, swim out to his boat, and she intends to, to, to do him harm. So these witches are not very nice
1: i'll give thee a wind
0: thou'lt kind
1: and i
2: another
3: i myself have all the other and the very ports they blow all the quarters that they know i the shipman's card i will drain him dry as hay sleep shall neither night nor day hang upon his penthouse lid he shall live a man forbid weary sea nights nine times nine shall he dwindle peak and pine Though his bark cannot be lost, yet it shall be tempest-tossed. Look what
0: I have. So here, the first witch is outlining the details of her plan. She's still talking about this poor old sailor. She's going to swim out like that little rat, and she's going to meet him. She's going to drain him of energy, make him really sick, keep him sleepless. And for 81 weeks, she's going to cause him to waste away. And she'd like to sink his ship, um, the ship that the sailor's on. Bound for Aleppo, as I said just now, which is sort of a porting Syria sort of area. Um, she's going to toss that ship to and fro so he'll feel awful and terrible. So these are villainous creatures and they don't plan anyone any good. They're very nasty.
2: Show me, show me.
3: Here I have a pilot's thumb, wrecked as homeward he did come.
2: A drum. Oh. A drum! Macbeth doth come. The weird sisters, sisters, hand, hand in, in hand, posters of, of the sea and land, land.
1: thus do go and go about. 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 Thrice, to, thrice thine. to thine, and thrice to, thrice mine. Thrice <laughs> to mine, and thrice, thrice again to make, to make up mine, peace, that the charms wound, wound,
0: wound, wound up. up. Okay, that was a little bit of a chant, a little bit of a sort of a spell, if you will, that these three weird sisters, these three witches have sort of trying to cast upon, well, everything, in particular, Macbeth, who's... Uh, Now wandered into the scene. So foul and fair a day I have not seen.
3: How far is it called to forests? What are these? So withered and so wild in their attire, That look not like the inhabitants of the earth, And yet are on it. Live you, or are you aught, That man may question? You seem to understand me. By each at once her chappy finger laying Upon her skinny lips, You should be women. And yet your beards forbid me to interpret that you are so.
0: So here Banquo spotted the witches, but he's a bit taken aback by their appearance, withered and wild in their attire. They don't look like earthly creatures. They don't look like women, but, but uh, they're on the earth, so they must be, he reasons. Uh, and they kind of look plema, but they've got these scraggly sort of old lady beards that makes them look pretty horrendous. But uh, he asked them, you know, what's going on? Macbeth starts. speak, if you can.
3: All hail, Macbeth, hail to thee, Thane of Glamis.
1: All hail, Macbeth, hail to thee, Thane of Cawdor.
2: All hail, Macbeth, thou shalt be king
1: hereafter.
3: Good sir, why do you start and seem to fear things that do sound so fair, the name, I, the name of truth? Are ye fantastical, or that indeed, which outwardly ye show, my noble partner, you greet with present grace and great prediction, of noble having and of royal hope, that he seems rapt withal, to me you speak not. If you can look into the seeds of time, and say which grain will grow and which will not, speak then to me, you neither beg nor fear, your favours nor your hate."
0: So here Banquo notices a couple of things that the witches have spoken to Macbeth and given Macbeth some uh, prophecies, some predictions. They haven't said anything to Banquo. And he notices that Macbeth's reacted quite strongly to this. Uh, he's actually been quite taken aback. So Banquo's sort of thinking, what on earth's going on here?
3: Hell, hell, hell! Lesser than Macbeth and greater. Not so happy, yet much happier. Thou shalt get
2: kings, though thou be none. So all hail, Macbeth and Banquo.
3: Banquo and Macbeth, all hail.
0: Stay, you imperfect speakers, tell me more. By Simon's death I know I am Thane of Glam's, but how of Cordor? The Thane of Cordor lives, a prosperous gentleman, and to be king stands not within the prospect of belief, no more than to be a Cordor. Say from whence you owe this strange intelligence. or Why, upon this blasted heath, you stop our way with such prophetic greeting. Speak, I charge you. And Macbeth really wants to know what's going on.
3: The earth has bubbles, as the water has, and these
0: are of them. Whither
3: are they vanished?
0: Into the air, and what seemed corporal melted as breath into the wind.
3: Would they had stayed? Were such things here as we do speak about, or have we eaten on the insane route that takes the reason prisoner?
0: So here, Benquo is asking, "Did we even really see this? Are we going a bit loopy? Are we overtired? Are we eating something that's made us hallucinate?"
3: Your children shall, you be, shall king. be king. And fain of cord or two, to the self-same so. tune and words. Who's here?
0: To Ross and Angus. The
1: king hath happily received, Macbeth, the news of thy success, and when he reads thy personal venture in the rebels' fight, his wonders and his praises do contend which should be thine or his. Silenced with that, in viewing o'er oh, the rest of the selfsame day, he finds thee in the stout Norwegian ranks, nothing afeard of what thyself didst make. Strange images of death, as thick as hail, Came post with post, and everyone did bear thy praises in his kingdom's great defence, and poured them down before him.
0: So here Ross has come in and he's conveyed uh, again Duncan well Duncan's thanks to Macbeth, so saying thank you Macbeth on behalf of Duncan on behalf of all the Scottish army for for what you have done has been you know, spread far and wide the way you. Slow, slew all those Norwegians and who slew those traders, um yeah Duncan gives you great great thanks, and your name is you know being cheered among the uh, soldiers of the Scottish We run.
2: are sent to give thee from our royal master thanks, only to herald thee into his sight,
1: not to pay not pay thee, and for an earnest of a greater honour, he bade me from him call thee thane of Cordor. In which addition, hail, most worthy Thane, for it is thine.
3: What? Can the devil
0: speak true? The Thane of Cordor lives. Why do you dress me in borrowed robes? Who's
2: the Thane lives yet, but under heavy judgment bears that life which he deserves to lose. Whether he was combined with those of Norway, or did line the rebel with hidden help and vantage, or that with both he laboured in his country's wreck. I know not, but treason's capital confessed and proved have overthrown him.
0: So here, Angus outlines the bisdain of Cordor, this traitor that turned against Duncan. Uh, he's still alive, but he's pretty much under a death sentence. Uh, he's been caught and he's awaiting execution. And Duncan, you know, in giving thanks to Macbeth, has decided to bestow that title, the Thane of Cawdor, on Macbeth, which uh, has fulfilled part of the witch's prophecy. Glamis and Thane of Cawdor, the greatest is behind. Thanks for your pains. Do you not hope your children shall be kings, And those that gave the Thane of Cawdor to me promised
3: no less to them? Their trusted home. Might yet enkindle you unto the crown. Besides the thane of Cordor, but tis strange, and oftentimes to win us to our harm. The instruments of darkness tell us truths, win us with honest trifles to betrays in deepest cons-
0: consequence. Cousins, a word, I pray you. So here, Banquo wryly points out that the witches' prophecies may prove true, but Banquo has doubts about them. He suspects there's danger, there's mischief, there's evil in these witches' prophecies, and to, to take them too seriously, to follow them too closely, is just going to, uh, well, to betray us in the deepest consequence. It's going to have a bad, bad outcome. Macbeth, two truths are told as happy prologues to the swelling act of the imperial theme. I thank you, gentlemen. This supernatural soliciting cannot be ill, cannot be good. If ill, why hath it given me earnest of success commencing in a truth? I am Thane of Cordor. If good, why do I yield to that suggestion whose horrid image doth unfix my hair and make my seated heart knock at my ribs against the use of nature? Present fears are less than horrible imaginings. My thought, whose murder yet is but fantastical. Shakes so my sting, single state of man at function is smothered in surmise. Nothing is, but what is not. So this is one of Macbeth's first short soliloquies. Soliloquies are those short little, well, not necessarily short, but little, those passages that sort of unfold the mind of the main character. He's turning over the witch's prophecies in his head. Particularly, he's toying with the dark thoughts about what he might have to do to become king. So he's glams, like the witches said. He's become corridor, like the witches said, and the witches said he'll become king. But it, the thoughts about what he might have to do to become king are making his heart beat fast, they're making him sweat. Unfix my hair, so his hair started to sort of fall down and cling to his head because it's covered in sweat. He's really thinking some dark thoughts about what it might take to become king. Look how our partners wrapped.
3: If chance will have me king, why, chance may crown me without my stir. New horrors came upon him, like our strange garments, cleave not to their
0: mould, but with the aid of use. Come what come may, time and the hour runs through the roughest day.
3: Worthy Macbeth,
0: we stay upon your leisure. Give me your favour. My dull brain was wrought with things forgotten. Kind gentlemen, your pains are registered. Where every day I turn the leaf to read them. Let us toward the king. Think upon, think upon what hath chanced, and at more time, the interim having laid it, let us speak our hearts, our free hearts, to each other. So here Macbeth tries to shrug off his uh, little moment and turns to Banquo and says, yeah, "Yeah, yeah, we'll have a chat at some stage about all this and you know what the witches told us and how some of what the witches have told us has come true. We'll we'll talk about this. We'll talk." Very gladly. Till then, enough. Come, friends. Okay, so that's the end of Act 1, Scene 3. Now we transition to Duncan's castle in forest. So Act 1, Scene 4, and forest in the palace. And uh, we meet Duncan and his son, Malcolm. And um, a few others come in, Macbeth and Banquo and whatnot. And uh, we meet Duncan and... He's discussing the late of Cordor, the one that was pretty much sentenced to death. So Flourish, there's trumpets, enter Duncan, Malcolm, Donald Blaine, Lennox and attendants.
3: Is execution done on Cordor? Are not those in commission yet returned?
1: My liege, they are not yet come back, but I have spoke with one that saw him die, who did report that very frankly he confessed his treasons, Implored your highness' pardon and set forth a deep repentance. Nothing in his life became him like the leaving it. He died as one that had been studied in his death, to throw away the dearest thing he owed, as twere a careless trifle.
0: So here, Malcolm, who witnessed the execution of the late Thane of Cordor, reflects upon this Thane of Cordor's attitude and says, Well, it was a noble death. Nothing in his life became him like believing it. He was, he was dignified and mature and uh, died, uh, yeah, in a noble sort of way.
3: There's no art to find the mind's construction in the face. He was a gentleman on whom I built an absolute trust. O worthiest cousin, the sin of my ingratitude even now was heavy on me. Thou art so far before, that swiftest wing of recompense is slow to overtake thee. Would thou hast less deserved that the, that the proportion, both of thanks and payment, might have been mine. Only I have left to say, more is thy due
0: than more than all I can pay. So here Duncan is reflecting upon his late... Uh... Friendship with the Thane of Cawdor. He was, he says, of this guy who's just been executed. He was a gentleman on whom I built an absolute trust. And he sort of suggests there's no art to find the mind's construction in the face. It's very hard to tell what someone's really thinking by their face and their expressions. And, uh probably feels a little fair bit betrayed because he was a he was a good friend. This late Thane of Cawdor. Then he um when Macbeth, Banquo, Ross, and Angus come in, he uh heaps lavish thanks on them and says thank you so much i still you know i owe you so much what you did in the battle thank you thank you thank you Mm -hmm. and Macbeth, the service and the loyalty i owe in doing it pays itself your highness's part is to receive our duties and our duties are to your throne and state children and servants which do but what they should by doing everything safe towards your love and honor so Macbeth here is just saying, think nothing of it. It's our job. We are like children to you, our, our adults, our parents. We do as we're told. Welcome hither.
3: <clears throat> I have begun to piant thee and will labour to make thee full of growing. Noble Banquo, thou hast no less deserved, nor must be known, no less to have done so. Let me enfold thee and hold thee to my heart.
2: There, if I grow... The harvest is your own.
3: My plenteous joys, wanton in fullness, seek to hide themselves in drops of sorrow. Sons, kinsmen, thanes, and you whose places are the nearest, know we will establish our estate upon our eldest, Malcolm, whom we name hereafter, the Prince of Cumberland, which honour must not unaccompanied invest him only, but signs of nobleness, like stars, shall shine on all deservers from hence to Inverness, and bind us further to you.
0: Okay, so here Duncan is so happy that uh, he's starting to cry. He's quite an emotional man, this King Duncan, very um, very sort of hard on the sleeve sort of chap. Plenteous joys seek to hide themselves in drops of sorrow. But in amongst these tears, he basically announces that his son, his eldest born, Malcolm, will be the heir to the Scottish throne. And they're going to name him the Prince of Cumberland. And when Duncan passes on, Malcolm shall be King of Scotland. So this is a bit of a roadblock, a bit of an impediment to that third prophecy that was given to Macbeth. So, yeah, a bit of a stumbling block. And Macbeth. The rest is labour, which is not used for you. I'll be myself the harbinger and make joyful the hearing of my wife with your approach. So humbly take my leave. So here Macbeth needs to take off because they're they're hosting Duncan in uh, Macbeth's castle in Inverness. And he needs to nick off and uh, tell his wife to get the place ready. My worthy Cordor The Prince of Cumberland. That is a step on which which I must fall down or else air leap. For in my way it lies. Stars, hydra fires... Let not light see my black and deep desires. The eye wink at the hand, yet let that be, which the eye fears when it is done to see. So Macbeth is upset about this. He's upset that Malcolm is being named heir. This means that he's probably going to have to do some dark, dark things to uh, to gain, to make that third prophecy come true. True worthy Banquo,
3: he is full, he is full so valiant and in his commendations I am fed. It is a banquet to me. Let's after him, whose care is gone before us, before to bid us welcome. It is a peerless kinsman.
0: Okay, so that's the end of Act 1, Scene 4. Now we transition to Inverness, Macbeth's castle, and here we, here we meet Macbeth's wife, Lady Macbeth, and we meet her in her castle, reading a letter she's gotten from Macbeth, a letter which outlines a few of the encounters Macbeth's had, in particular the encounter with the witches. So, Act 1, Scene 5, enter Lady Macbeth reading a letter.
1: They met me in the day of success, and I have learned by the perfectest report they have more in them than mortal knowledge. When I burned in desire to question them further, they made themselves heir, into which they vanished. Whilst I stood wrapped in the wonder of it, came missives from the king, who all hailed me, Thane of Cordor, by which title before these weird sisters saluted me and referred me to the coming on of time with, Hail, king that shall be! This have I thought good to deliver thee, my dearest partner of greatness, that thou mightst not lose the dues of rejoicing, by being ignorant of what greatness is promised thee. Lay it to thy heart, and farewell. Glammest thou art, and cordor, and shalt be, what thou art promised, yet do I feel thy nature? It is too full of the milk of human kindness to catch the nearest way. Thou wouldst be great, art not without ambition, but without the illness should attend it. What thou wouldst highly, that wouldst thou holily, wouldst not play false, and yet wouldst wrongly win. Thou wouldst have great glamour, that which cries, thus thou must do, if thou have it, and that which rather thou dost fear to do, than wishest should be undone. Hide thee th- hither, that I may pour my spirits in thine ear and chastise with the valour of my tongue, all that impedes thee from the golden round, which fate and metaphysical aid doth seem to have thee crowned withal. What is your tidings?
0: Okay, so in this long passage, it's sort of bordering on a soliloquy here. Lady Macbeth, the first part is just a nice little summary, so she's reading aloud this letter from Macbeth, which Brings uh, her up to speed and reminds us, the audience, of uh, what's been going on, you know, the witches, the prophecies, how he's become Thane of Cordor, and how he's been, you know, it's been prophesied that he'll become king. The second part from Glam's Thou Art and Cordor and Shall Be, they're reading uh, her original lines, if you will. She starts talking about, I've got some concerns, I'm worried. Um, I mean, she's, she's excited that he's become Thane of Cordor, but she doesn't think that Macbeth is up to becoming king she doesn't think that he really uh has it in him that he'll do whatever it takes that he's aggressive enough that he's ambitious enough to actually do what is necessary what she believes is necessary for him to become king so she's uh she's thinking oh i better get to work i, I know i know macbeth um i know that he's not made of the sternest stuff and that he'll not be able to you know get to that third prophecy and make it true so she's uh she's hoping that he'll Arrive it in Venice very soon, so that she may pour her spirits in thine ear and chastise with the valour of my tongue all that impedes thee from the golden round. Basically, so she can uh, start you know, telling him how it's going to be and what he needs to do and telling him to man up and get his act together because she, uh, she can see that crown and she thinks that she's probably got to do her part to, to get her back there.
2: The king comes here tonight.
1: Thou art mad to say it. Is not thy master with him, who, wert so, would have informed for preparation?
2: So please you, it is true, our Thane is coming. One of my fellows had the speed of him, who, almost dead for breath, had scarcely more than would make up his message.
1: Give him tending, he brings great news. The raven himself is hoarse, that croaks the fatal entrance of Duncan under my battlements. Come, you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe, top full of direst cruelty. Make thick my blood. Stop up the access and passage to remorse, that no compunctious visitings of nature shake my fell purpose, nor keep peace between the effect and it. Come to my woman's breasts and take my milk for gall, You murdering ministers, wherever in your sightless substances you wait on nature's mischief, come thick night and pull thee in the dunnest smoke of hell that my keen knife see not the wound it makes nor heaven peep through the blanket of the dark to cry hold, hold, great Glamis, worthy Cordor greater than both by the all-hailed hereafter. Thy letters have transported me beyond this ignorant present, and I feel now the future in the instant.
0: Okay, so here, Lady Macbeth, there's a lot going on here. Um, She's very happy that Duncan's coming to Inverness, to her castle, her and Macbeth's castle that night, and she's got her mind made up. Duncan is going to come. He's not going to leave alive. describes the fatal entrance of Duncan, the raven is croaking these are all pretty much metaphors for death Duncan's going to enter and never leave she's got some plans and then she starts this really dark and sort of very spiritually sort of dark um, sort of conjuring up dark spirits to come and make her remorseless, to fill her with cruelty to take away all her so-called, you know, female tenderness and all that sort of stuff and just make her an absolute villain. They show that she's got enough to get sort of enough murderous instincts to get the job done. So it's a bit of a, bit of a sort of witchcrafty sort of scene here. Then in wanders Macbeth and she's very happy to see him and she gets straight to the point. I feel now the future in the instant. So pretty much the first topic of their first conversation after all that Macbeth's done and all that Macbeth's been through is how are we going to get the crown? And Macbeth starts. My dearest love, And when goes hence? Tomorrow, as he purposes.
1: Never shall sun that morrow see. Your face, my Thane, is as a book where men may read strange matters. To beguile the time, look like the time. Bear welcome in your eye, your hand, your tongue. Look like the innocent flower, but be the serpent under it. He that's coming must be provided for. And you shall put this night's great business into my dispatch, which shall to all our nights and days to come give solely sovereign sway and masterdom.
0: Okay, so here Lady Macbeth, straight to the point. She's saying, Duncan will not see tomorrow's sun. Pretty brutal. And she sets about instructing Macbeth how to act, how to look, you know, be the... Innocent flower, be the sweet, gracious host, Macbeth. You know, be nice to everybody, particularly Duncan. But be the serpent underneath. Um, and she's saying, put this night's great business into my dispatch. She's basically saying, all you need to do, Macbeth, is play the gracious host, be kind, be smiling, be nice. And I have the I have a plan to uh, dispatch and get rid of this uh, King Duncan. And Macbeth continues. We will Only speak look further. up
1: clear. To alter favour ever is to fear. Leave all the rest to
0: me. Okay, so that's the end of Act 1, Scene 5. Lady Macbeth has a plan. She's uh, heard of Macbeth and the prophecies and the Thane of Corda and all the rest. And she's got a bit of a plan to uh, get Macbeth through to that third prophecy, that prophecy that he'll become king. And Okay. Act 1, Scene 6, we transition to a... Little scene just outside Macbeth's Castle or before Macbeth's Castle. Uh, Duncan and his entourage are riding up. And, and Duncan being the sort of cheerful and honest and really gracious sort of king. He's just, you know, praising Macbeth's Castle. And it's well-placed. It's well-built. It has a lovely you know, landscape, a lovely vista. And even the air there is uh, fresh and inviting. So hot boys and torches into Duncan, Malcolm, Donald Bain. Anquire, Lennox, Macduff, Ross, Angus, and attendants. This castle has a pleasant seat.
3: The air nimbly and sweetly recommends itself until, unto our gentle
0: senses. So Duncan is a fan of Macbeth's castle. The location is pleasant, air this is
2: fresh. This guest of spring. summer, the temple-haunting haunting marchlet does approve by his loved mansionry, that the heavens breath smells wooingly here no jutty frieze, buttress or coin of vantage but this bird hath made his pendant bed and procreant cradle where they most breed and haunt i have observed the air is delicate
0: So here, Banquo being a nice sort of chap as well, discussing, yeah, it's a lovely castle, lovely place. Look at that little bird, the martlet. Look at how they're bouncing around on these, um, these these air currents. Uh, when you see these birds, it means that uh, the air is delicate. The air is good. So Banquo's having doing a bit of bird watching while they're riding up to to uh, Macbeth's castle. In wanders Lady Macbeth. See, see, our honoured hostess. The
3: love that follows us sometimes is our trouble which still we thank as love. Herein I teach you how you shall bid God yield for our, for your pains and thank us for your trouble.
1: All our service in every point twice done and then done double were poor and single business to contend against those honours deep and broad wherewith your majesty loads our house. For those of old and the late dignities heaped up to them, we rest your hermits.
0: So here, there's sort of a formal exchange of uh, welcome and thanks and those sorts of things. Duncan's a genuine, like, oh, thank you so much for having us. Thank you for your pains. Um, Very kind of you you to take us. Um, Duncan's a genuine sort of fellow, a good king. He's genuinely thanking Lady Macbeth for putting him and his people up. Lady Macbeth is saying the same, but obviously hers are false, um, because she has malicious intent toward poor Duncan. Where's the Thane of Cawdor?
3: We coursed him at the heels and had a purpose to be his purveyor, but he rides well, and his great love, sharp as his spur, hath holp him to his home before us. Fair and noble hostess, we are your guest tonight.
1: Your servants ever have theirs themselves and what is theirs in compte to make their order at your highness's pleasure still to return your own.
3: Give me your hand, conduct me to mine host, we love him highly, and shall continue our graces toward him by your leave, hostess.
0: Okay, so these are more, you know, pleasantries exchanged between Duncan and Lady Macbeth. Um, Again, Duncan's just been kind and gracious and saying, where's Dana of Court, where's Macbeth? I'd like to talk to him. Uh, He's such a great bloke. Thank you again. And Lady Macbeth, in a sort of sycophantic way, saying, oh, yes, yes, our house is yours and everything we have is yours and really laying it on quite thick. Okay, so that's the end of scene six, act one, scene six. Now we transition to... Inside Macbeth's castle, it's probably uh, early evening, um, and Macbeth and later Macbeth are having a deep and, and pretty intense conversation about what they should do. Should they do this dreadful thing, you know, in order to bring the witches' prophecies about, or should they not? And it's an intense conversation. So, Act 1, Scene 7. Hort boys and torches. Enter a sewer and divers, servants, with dishes and service, and pass over the stage. Enter Macbeth. If it were done when tis done, and to a it were done quickly. The assassination could trammel up the consequence and catch with his surcease success. That, but this blow, might be the be-all and end-all here, but here, upon this bank and shoal of time, we would jump the life to come. So I might just pause there. In that little passage, is a lot going on. The guest's thinking, if we could do this in a really quick way and sort of get all, you know, set it up to make it look a particular way. Assassination could travel up the consequence. So if we could get away with it, you know, frame some people, plant some evidence and that sort of thing, we could catch with his surcease, so Duncan's death, success. But then he starts thinking, well, we might succeed in this life. You know, I might become king, but we jump the life to come. We'll never get to heaven. We'll be locked out of heaven. So... He's thinking some pretty deep and dark thoughts here. And I continue. But in these cases, we still have judgment here, that we but teach bloody instructions, which, being taught, return to plague the inventor. This even-handed justice commends the ingredients of our poison chalice to our own lips. So here, Macbeth is saying, these things tend to you know, boomerang back. If we were to do a dreadful thing to Duncan, then that would come back to us. What about Duncan's sons? What about those loyal to Duncan? They will want to get revenge. You know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Then Macbeth continues and starts thinking about the nature and character of Duncan. He's here in double trust. First, as I am his kinsman and his subject, strong both against the deed. Then, as his host, who should against his murderer, shut the door, not bear the knife myself. Besides, this Duncan hath borne his faculties so meek, hath been so clear in his great office that his virtues will plead like angels, trumpet-toned against the deep damnation of his taking off, and pity like a naked newborn babe striding the blast or heaven's cherubim horsed upon the sightless couriers of the air shall blow the horrid deed in every eye, that tears shall drown the wind. So here he's thinking about the nature of Duncan, that to murder such a man, such a great king, such a meek and and honourable man, would just be a, a deep, deep sin against nature, and and the whole land would suffer, and pity like a naked newborn babe. Blow the horridine in every eye. It would break Scotland. It would break the Scottish people. And he continues. I have no spur to prick the sides of my intent, but only vaulting ambition which, air leaps itself, and falls on the other. So this is a deep, deep uh, soliloquy. He's thinking deeply about the nature of this this thing that he might do, and whether he should do it. And he's thinking. I don't really have a desire, but I, I, do have this ambition. I want this thing. Is that enough? Anyway, in comes Lady Macbeth.
1: He has almost. How, how, what sucked. news? Why have you left the chamber? No, you he not. Asked he has.
0: For me? We will proceed no further in this business. The me of late, and I have bought golden opinions from all sorts of people which would be worn now in their newest gloss, not cast aside so soon. So here, Macbeth, is decided, no, nah, I'm not going to do it. I've been given these honours. Duncan has, has been gracious and, and treated me well. I'm not going to throw that aside.
1: Was the hope drunk wherein you dressed yourself? Have it slept since, and wakes it now to look so green and pale at what it did so freely? From this time, such I account thy love. Art thou afeared to be the same in thine own act and valour as thou art in desire? Wouldst thou have that which thou esteemest the ornament of life and live a coward in thine own esteem, letting I dare not wait upon I would like the poor cat in the adage?
0: So here, Lady Macbeth launches into an attack on Macbeth. Basically, says, were you drunk when you promised this to me? Are you? Were you asleep? Were you dreaming when you promised this to me? Well, I'm. You now, you look all green and pale and sick, sickly and feeble. Well, now that that that's the that's what our love is. It's sick and pale and green. And she's really launching into him. Um, she's basically saying, "You're a coward. You're not a man. You, you're like a little pussy cat that wants to catch a fish but doesn't want to get its paws wet. You're a little, you know, crybaby. You're a subsister. So Lady Macbeth is just she's launching into him." And Macbeth continues, Prithee peace, I dare to all that may become a man, who dares do more is none. And Macbeth basically says, be quiet, I've done all that a man what should do. What beast was
1: then that made you break this enterprise to me? When you durst do it, then you were a man, and to be more than what you were, you would be so much more the man. Nor time nor place did then adhere, and yet you would make both. They have made themselves, and that their fitness now doesn't make you. I have given suck, and know how tender it is to love the babe that milks me. I would, while it was smiling in my face, have plucked my nipple from its boneless gums, and dashed the brains out, had I so sworn as you have done to this.
0: So here, Lady Macbeth ups the ante. She ratchets, ratchets this whole thing up and says, "Well, you were like a beast when you promised this to me. You're not a man. You're a little rat." Basically, he says, "If I were you, you know, I, I would rather have a give birth to a baby, tend to that baby, breastfeed that baby, then kill that baby than make a promise like you made to me." She's gone next level. She's basically saying, um, "Here we go." Her tenants love the babe that milks me. I would while it was smiling in my face, pluck my nipple from his boneless gums and dash the brains out. Had I so sworn as you have done to this. So she's saying, you are, you are scum. So this is quite an intense conversation. They're toing and froing. Um, and she sort of seems here to have sort of turned Macbeth with this really violent illustration. Because Macbeth starts saying, well, his next line. We if fail. We should fail. But
1: screw your courage to the sticking place, and will not fail. When Duncan is asleep, whereto the rather shall his day's hard journey soundly invite him, his two chamberlains will I with wine and wassail so convince that memory, the warder of the brain, shall be a fume, and the receipt of reason a limbeck only. When in swinish sleep their drenched natures lie as in a death, What cannot you and I perform upon the unguarded Duncan? What not put upon his spongy officers who shall bear the guilt of our great quell?
0: So here Lady Macbeth goes into the detail of her plan. She's thought about it and she impresses Macbeth with this plan. She says, look, Duncan will be asleep. He's had a long journey. He's come all the way to Inverness. He'll be fast asleep. And Lady Macbeth says, I'll go in and talk to those two guards and I'll you know, have, give them some wine and give them some more wine and they'll be getting drunker and drunker and then I'll be chatting to them and then they'll get to a point where they'll simply just pass out because they're so drunk on wine and they'll be uh, unable to guard Macbeth if they're, I mean, guard Duncan if they're passed out drunk. And she's saying, when in swineish sleep their drenched natures lies in a death, what cannot you and I perform upon the unguarded Duncan? And she'll create this little opening where she and Macbeth might be able to do some things to Duncan. And then Macbeth is very impressed with this. And he continues, bring forth men, children only, for thy undaunted metal should compose nothing but males. Will it not be received when we have marked with blood those sleepy two of his own chamber and used their very daggers that they have done it? So here Macbeth is saying, he's, he's, a, he's thinking, wow, she's she's ruthless, she's quite something, she's robust, she's tough, she's made of stern stuff, she should only be uh, bring forth you know, boys because she's that sort of you know, strong, if you will. And he's, he adds his little bit to the plan and says, Oh, well, we once those two guards are passed out full of wine, we'll sneak in, do what we've got to do to Duncan, um, put the uh, daggers into these guards' hands, smear them with blood, it'll look like the guards have done it. And, uh, yeah. That's their plan. Who
1: dares receive it other, as we shall make our grease and clamour roar upon his death?
0: I am settled, and bend up each corporal agent to this terrible feat. Away, and mock the time with fairest show. False face must hide, what the false heart, heart doth know. So Macbeth decides he's up for it. He reminds Lady Macbeth and himself to put on a happy face and to mask their true intentions.